welcome to the next episode of the Hopes and Dreams podcast. Today I'm joined by my lovely friend Catherine. I saw a quote the other day that said it's amazing how work friends can turn into people you genuinely can't live without and this really sums up how I feel about Kath, someone who is just a real joy to be around and I love so much and we've definitely been there for each other through the ups and downs of our fertility journeys. In this episode, we'll be talking about Kath's journey to parenthood, which includes an endometriosis diagnosis and what that involved, as well as another often very taboo subject, postnatal depression following the birth of her daughter. Kath, you haven't shared this before with many people, so I think you're so, so brave and courageous to speak about both these topics with me and the listeners today. And I know that people listening are going to find this chat really, really helpful. Oh, Em, thank you so much for inviting me to talk today. And that's such a beautiful quote. I feel exactly the same way and feel so lucky that I met you at work and that we have become so close. And yeah, you're absolutely right. I think with um, with endometriosis, I've been quite open with people, um, but I've actually told very, very few people about the postnatal depression. But thinking about now and given everything that is that is going on with the pandemic and lockdown, I can't imagine how tough it has been for parents, especially first time parents with no opportunity to go to baby groups or, you know, my heart really does go out to them. So I guess if my story can in any way help or maybe make things feel slightly more normal um, at all, then then that's the least that I can do uh, to speak up. And especially on this kind of amazing podcast that you've created, I just feel so, so, so proud of you. I think what you're doing here is so special. And I'm sure it will. And and anyone that doesn't know you um, or people that do know you would, would be shocked that you, you went through it because you're such a happy, joyous, friendly one of the people that hugs people and and is so warm and warm and friendly and lovely and it affects anyone and that's the point isn't it no any anyone can be affected and it does affect lots of people so that's really great to to open that you know window to you and and talk about it uh so I think a good place to begin in our in our chat would be with when you thought something was happening to your body back when you were thinking when you were wondering what you felt with um, endometriosis, what were the signs and, and how were you feeling? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's a really good place to start. So I started my periods in first year of high school. Actually, you know, at that point, there wasn't anything really particularly odd about them. I think I was incredibly irregular, but I think that's quite normal. And I had very heavy periods, but essentially they were, they were quite probably quite normal. Um, and so it wasn't really until maybe I was in year eight, um, which is second year high school, that I started to have quite a lot of difficulty um, with with my periods. And really what would happen is the, the day of or kind of the evening prior to actually starting my periods, I would go this very strange color. It would be kind of, at first it'd be very pale and then it turned kind of greenish and I would, you know, start to have the most horrendous cramps and they would kind of come and and go in waves. And it's really interesting because now having had a baby, I can say for me anyway, those um, cramps were very, 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 very similar in terms of pain uh, to a contraction. And I would feel, you know, obviously the the pain of it would would be horrendous, um, but also I would kind of go into like hot and cold sweats and I would often vomit. I was just really, really unwell with them. And I would be, you know, at times quite delirious as well. So they would kind of consume me. That's that's the only way that I can really put it. I couldn't function. So I wouldn't be able to be at school or, um, you know, be out and about. I couldn't manage it at all. I would be really, really unwell in bed or lying on the bathroom floor, you know. So and prior to that, the week kind of prior, I would have this horrendous kind of mood swings and be very extreme in my kind of behavior, very hormonal and incredibly like things like, you know, being incredibly angry or incredibly sad. Um, And often, you know, my poor mum would get the brunt of all of that. And so it just kind of, it started, for me, I was very aware that, that actually, I wasn't really able to manage my periods and and it didn't feel that this was normal. You know, I had friends that um, had 
cramps and they were you know of course they were in pain with them but they could maybe go to school or they could be be doing things you know they could be out and about that it didn't seem to affect them in the in the the same way that it did me so I think that I knew that there was something not quite right and I could see as well that it was putting quite a lot of strain on my close relationships particularly obviously with my mom because from her, her perspective we've kind of talked about this obviously since um and she said that it was just very strange for her to see her daughter prior to kind of starting her periods I was quite a you know a quite a sweet little girl and I was quite moderate temperament and you know I didn't have extreme reactions to things and then following kind of the start of my periods I was very much like a Jekyll and Hyde personality you know and it, it was really difficult for my mom because obviously she was she was really worried about me and she you know it was it was awful to see her daughter in that much pain and yeah I was I was really unwell with them and you know things like paracetamol they didn't really it would help if I kind of took paracetamol just like at the beginning of the cramp starting I might be able to catch it in time so it would like reduce the pain but generally you know if if I started kind of having these cramps in in the middle of the night or or at school I just you know and I didn't get kind of get to paracetamol in time it just it really just didn't have any impact so I think it was clear you know that that there was something that needed to be done at that point and yeah and it and it was really difficult I suppose for my mum to kind of see me in that state so there was frequent visits I have to say to the doctor. And and really extreme symptoms for a, a you know you're a girl you're 11 or 12 like really horrible for you I know you say your mum as well but horrible for you to be going through that and probably quite scary especially when your peers weren't having the same extreme periods then what happened how did you manage it going forward yeah no you're absolutely right and you know because you're young as well you don't really understand what's happening so you know I'm thinking about those extreme moods I would be you know really feeling those feelings at the time you know I would be really just so upset about a particular issue or or, or something that had happened and then the next week I'd be like ah oh, okay that was what that was and you know because I'd have got my period and I realized that it was all connected you know you, you are a young girl and my periods were very heavy and very irregular there was no there was no rhyme or reason in terms of like when they were going to happen you know so I couldn't predict so I couldn't kind of manage it in that respect so I felt like you know because my periods lasted kind of anywhere between seven to ten days and then I had this week prior where I was just this I had the most horrendous PMS ultimately I just felt like I was dominated by my periods my entire life and there was only a very small window of where I felt like I was a normal young girl just being me you know so it was really really tricky and yeah it was really hard to manage that and I think you don't really understand what's happening at the time and and I did used to think that maybe I had like a really really shit pain threshold you know like maybe I was just really weak <laughs> because I would see my friends and they were in pain you know that's it's not to dis discount that at all but they would be like oh god you know I've got really bad cramps today and I'd be looking at them like how are you even standing like what is wrong with me why can't I like move you know why am I completely like wiped out by this and so I think one of the the kind of the uh, pivotal moments really was that I was taking really two days off every month from school obviously if my period kind of landed over the weekend then then that would be fine but it, it obviously triggered a reaction from the school to phone my mom and say your daughter is you know off two days every every month and they were very worried about it and that you know they were concerned about obviously my education and you know I'm sure there were more more things at play here but I think probably looking back now they weren't very sympathetic you know at the time that was a real challenge for me and it kind of raises this issue doesn't it that girls and women have got so many different um gynecological reproductive kind of issues or the umbrella term women's issues and we've often just got to get on with it and we've often got to hide it and just move 
move through life not kind of making a big deal of all of these things, even though they're really, really quite dominant in our lives. And I think that there was a bit of lack of understanding there and support. I appreciate that they also had concerns and they also had, you know, my educational welfare in their mind. So it prompted my mum to take me to the doctor. And this I was 14 years old at this point. So I guess I've been managing this better half of 18 months. The doctor said he's just an amazing family doctor. You know, he was just fantastic. And we had obviously been in and out of the doctors through this period, kind of saying what is wrong. And we tried lots of different herbal remedies, you know, ginger, raspberry leaf. Um, I had been given Feminax and this kind of liquid paracetamol to take as well. So we were trying to do things, um, you know, all these kind of things like go for a bath and use a hot water bottle and all of that stuff. So, but his view was, look, the, the only way really at this point to try and manage Catherine's periods will be to put her on the contraceptive pill. And you can imagine my mum's face because that's her 14 year old girl. And it's just a, it's a really tough decision for your mum to make for, you know, for the doctor to advise, but it was, it absolutely was the right decision. You know, we needed to give me some sense of normality. And I had to also solve this problem that, you know, that the school had raised, which was my attendance. So I have to say, you know, it absolutely had a massive impact on me and my quality of life. You know, it suddenly my periods were regular. I knew exactly when I was going to have, uh, you know, my period. I knew the pain reduced as well, which was fantastic. They were a lot lighter. It really did have a really, really fantastic impact on me, actually. And it changed everything, really. From there on, I just kind of stayed on contraception until you know my early 20s but a a long time for you to have to go through that to then get the diagnosis to have something to sort of try and fix it hard for you yeah absolutely and I think you know my diagnosis from the doctor at that point was very much you're just really really unlucky and you have really really difficult periods and I'm really sorry about that and he you know he was such a wonderful doctor and he was so compassionate and he was so invested but that was the diagnosis there wasn't anything else so we didn't do any other other investigations because I guess also I was so young it was really difficult to kind of to not have explanation for why that was the way it was but I just thought well I'm just unlucky and that's just it and then you said you got to your 20s moving on to your 20s basically I was kind of early 20s I was about 23 and I decided that I wanted to come off contraception to see actually just if my periods had changed, you know, if my body had changed, that had been quite a substantial period of time by that point. I'm also conscious that I had been on contraception since I was 14. So I was coming up to nearly 10 years of that. And I had changed lots of different contraceptions. You know, I'd, I went on the depot injection, um, which you have like every three months um, when I went traveling around um, Australia just for ease. And I'd tried the patch and you know I tried all these different things and I just thought you know what I think maybe it would be a good idea just to see if 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 I still have all of that pain and um and also I think maybe I'd had conversations as well with other women by that point who had talked to me about things that they you know that they had had so I met women that had polycystic ovaries and people had kind of said to me no, that doesn't really sound very normal. You know, maybe you should investigate that. So I just thought it was a time to do that. So um, I came off um, the pill and, you know, the first few months are fine. And then, of course, they came back with a vengeance. You know, they were just absolutely horrendous. And um, I actually can't believe I stayed off contraception for as long as I did. But um, they they just, they were just exactly the same uh, in terms of pain and they were all all consuming. They would completely irregular. So they would just completely ruin holidays. You know, I remember being on a holiday for ten days, and seven days I was on this just horrendously heavy period. And two of those days I was, you know, held up in the room, like not able to leave. You know, and you just realise how at the mercy you are of them, kind of thing. So. 
but what I really wanted to do is is kind of try and figure things out. So I was living in Edinburgh at the time and I went to my doctor. Um, it was a surgery that you didn't really know a particular doctor, but um, they did send me for a scan. So I went for an ultrasound and I had blood tests um, to determine whether I had polycystic ovaries. And that actually came back negative. So that was all clear. Um, and I got, I remember getting the letter. I was, uh, the letter was actually sent to my address and I just, I got the letter, I read it and I thought, well, that's the end of that. You know, I just thought I, I ruled it, I ruled that out. And that's the thing that I thought I had. So um, I just, again, just assumed, well, I'm just unlucky um, and I'm going to go back on contraception because I'm not going to deal with these periods again. You know, that I can't, I can't handle this again. <laughs> yeah exactly like it's so it's you're so right these issues they affect our lives so much and we just we just you know grin and, grin and bear it and um it's not nice to have to do that and it ruins holidays or you know various things like that and it's tough it's really tough mm. so and it, it's also an important point it's like having a doctor that is really clued up about these things makes a massive difference and it's quite rare and and it's not everyone is lucky to get that understanding doctor that understands, in, as you say, women's issues in adverted commas. And I, I saw mm -hmm. on Davina McCall's program the other day about the menopause, that there aren't enough doctors specializing in the menopause either. So lots of women are getting diagnosed with depression when actually they're, they're in early menopause or menopause. And, and I'm sure it's the same with these other female issues that we experience. Um, oh. It takes a long time to diagnose because there's not enough knowledge about them. Yeah, I could not agree more. And I think if you're as well, you know, it depends what what you're doing in your life. I mean, there was a, you know, a period of time where from kind of 18 years old to I suppose 24, I was just I was living in so many different countries. I was, you know, I was probably registered at like six or seven different doctors. You know, I wasn't I was never really investigating what was wrong with me with with a doctor. And so you're always getting a little bit of kind of a piece of the puzzle, but you're not really working out exactly what's wrong with you. And once you kind of, you investigate one thing, like for example, the polycystic ovaries, and you get that response, no, you don't have that, then you kind of just shut it down again. And you don't, what I should have probably done is taken the letter to the doctors and said, okay, I don't have this, but what you know what else can we explore but I just don't think I had the confidence to do that I thought you know I don't want to I didn't really want to bother them and I thought well I just am unlucky you know you just kind of keep thinking well may you want something to, you want there to be an answer for the way you you are and the way you feel but actually maybe this is just the answer that you are unlucky so yeah I, I agree with you on that and I think you know it wasn't until I actually went and moved down to Luton with my partner and he had got a job and I followed him. And honestly, I met the most incredible female doctor. She was amazing. And I actually went in that day to just get more of the patch, the contraceptive patch. And I started to talk to her and she, she, you know, she had the time and she wanted to listen. So I just told her everything. I told her everything since I was 12 years old. Um, and she was fantastic. Obviously, she listened. And then she just said, you know, Catherine, I think you've got endometriosis. And I was like, oh, okay. Now I had, don't get me wrong, you know, throughout this, I have been Googling and reading up and it had crossed my mind that I had endometriosis. But I thought that when I went for the scan to see if I had polycystic ovaries, I thought that that also had outruled endometriosis. It, it was whether, you know, there was a bit of miscommunication or not. And that's what I said to her. I thought, oh, I thought that, that I didn't have that because they kind of outruled that, you know, um, when, when the test came back clear for polycystic ovaries, I just thought that that was the end of it. And she said, well, you know, no, that's actually not the case because you can't test for that through an ultrasound. Um, you, you know, the only way that you can see if you've got endometriosis is if you have a laparoscopy and they actually see that you've got the endometriosis tissue that has obviously migrated into different parts of where it shouldn't be. And and it was really refreshing to have that conversation with her. And she just said, look, I will take this case on and, and we will figure this out. And 
that's what we should do, you know, and, and I will refer you. And it was amazing. You know, I felt like, and I think you're right talking about kind of having that relationship with a doctor. And I completely understand, you know, it, we're in this very busy, fast paced world at the moment where, you know, I'm, I'm at a surgery now where they, they're a fantastic doctors, but they do have like a triage system where you phone up in the morning and you are guaranteed to see somebody um, but it won't be the same doctor. You know, you, you'll, you'll receive a telephone call back and you'll have a consultation over the phone and then they'll decide whether or not you should go in. And you will always be seen in some way, but it won't ever be the same doctor. And as a result of that, sometimes I think you you then don't want to pursue these kind of maybe more long-term ailments that you're not sure, then it's not really urgent. So you don't want to bother them, but equally it's, it's unsolved. So yeah and mm. she did that for me she was brilliant and I totally get that so on a different note but related I remember after my last miscarriages I had a locum doctor who just I just felt got me who understood what I was going through spent a long time talking to me and understanding and eventually said you know I think you need to go on antidepressants and you know like and yeah. I just felt like she really understood whereas and then I was devastated when she moved on because I was like oh, back to square one but and, and, and as you say I know the doctors don't it's it's a busy system but it is good when you get that one person and I'm so glad that um, you came across her in Luton and that she helped reach the reach the diagnosis with you uh, after all those years wondering you know what what was happening and then so you got to that point and then when was it that you started thinking about a family and trying for a baby and and how confident were you that it would be okay with 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 the diagnosis of endometriosis so basically what um when I did go in for um the laparoscopy I do remember um thinking in my head you know before you go under it was like a day surgery um and they were fantastic there and I do remember thinking I really hope that he tells me that that I have it. And I know that's a really strange thing to say, but of course I just wanted an answer and um, I had pinned all my hopes on this a little bit. And when I came round um, and he said, yeah, you know, you just to confirm you have mild endometriosis and we have lasered it off in these areas. And I just cried with utter relief and happiness. And I, I know that really does sound bizarre, but I was 26 years old at that point and I had been living with this since I was 12 you know so it had taken an awfully long time to get here you I guess what happens with all sorts of you know things that dominate your life they put a lot of pressure on strain on your relationships your close relationships um with people and that often happened with me and my partners. I had some incredibly understanding boyfriends, you know, really understanding boyfriends, but it, it just, it does put a huge amount of pressure on your relationship. And um, with with my relationship at that point, we had, we loved each other very much. You know, we were really, really close, but we had, I think, fallen out of love. And I think after the diagnosis and the surgery, there was no way that, you know, Doug would ever have said to me, I think we need to break up. He would never, you know, that would, that would never have crossed his mind. He was, a, he's a fantastic person, but I knew that, that actually we had reached the end of, of our relationship. When I went for my post-op kind of debrief with um, the consultant, the consultant had said to me, and I think this is different now, but she had said, we really do not want to be doing that surgery again because there's risk of infection with scar tissue and we wouldn't want to do another laparoscopy on you. So we're thinking that within about three years, the, the, you know, there's no cure for endometriosis. So within about three years, the tissue will probably migrate back again. Um, so really you should be within six months after we've, you know, after you've had this, this treatment, you should then start thinking about trying for a baby and you've got that window. And I honestly sat there and I looked at her and I was like, oh my goodness, that's, that, that, that was, that, that's not in my plan. You know, I hadn't even considered thinking, trying for a baby. That's, that's not where I was at all. I just was desperate to know whether or not I had endometriosis, you know? 
you know, my relationship was obviously breaking down and I knew that that was the right thing. We, we, it was the right decision for us to break up. And I remember sit, going to see my doctor who I just absolutely adored and we were sitting chatting and she said, right, so are you going to start trying for a family? And I went, I don't know how to tell you this, but Doug and I have broken up and she, we just looked at each other and we just burst out laughing because you know she thought that I think we there was clearly some kind of miscommunication going on you know and I think that that we I was in a solid relationship and I think she probably thought oh well this is the time you know but anyway it wasn't the time for me yeah and, and, and that's the thing as well though it's about timings and as women there's these sort of windows of when things happen and you sometimes it pushes you into making decisions on things that you don't feel ready to make because of these medical things. But there was a turnaround, and you and you and Doug have gone on, and you have you've had two babies, and yeah. uh, you got back together and reconnected, which is amazing because you're both amazing people. And despite all the doubts and fears and thoughts with the diagnosis that you had, you you went as I said you. You've, you went on to in the, in the first case have Freya yeah you're absolutely right and I mean I don't think anybody could have predicted any of that I mean or maybe people did but I definitely didn't know really what was going to be around the corner but we got back together again um we went to see a doctor um and you know she she was lovely as well she was so kind and she said to me well the first thing you you need to do is obviously come off um contraception and she said look you know given your history and given this imminent timeline that you have and um it, it could take up to a year if ever and and you need to be prepared for that and I said no no I do understand and she said but you know as a rule we we wouldn't really start to kind of look in you know do any further kind of investigations or anything unless once you've kind of been trying for a year so you still have to have been trying for a year and then if if nothing happens then we can start looking into this and looking at the options and we both looked at each other very kind of that knowing look where you think yeah you know this is going to take a while this this is going to be challenging um and and I, I suppose I was I was ready for that and then um within two months I was pregnant um, I remember being at this kind of Chinese bring your own restaurant with my mum and I could not drink this wine you know it was just not going down at all and then the next day I just said to mum that I just didn't feel right and and so I took a pregnancy test because I had a, I had a suspicion you know it was a bit I, had, I felt very strange and it was positive and my initial reaction, I have to say, was not positive. You know, I I, I was really numb, actually. I was, I, I didn't really kind of, I didn't really understand what I was looking at. And it, I, it felt a bit strange. And I gave the news to Doug and he was actually at a stag do. Um, I think he was probably still drunk. And he was so, so happy. You know, he was just absolutely elated. He was just, he was just so happy, which was wonderful. But I, on the other hand, I kind of, I remember just sitting and watching TV and just not really kind of engaging with my mom. And later on, my mom had said to me that she found my sister on the way home and she was a bit worried about me. And she said, you know, she just doesn't seem very happy about it. And she, and I guess I just, I just felt really, really overwhelmed. You know, Doug and I had, we'd only been kind of together like six months and um, we lived with a flatmate who's lovely and you know, Doug was back at uni retraining and yeah, it just didn't, it just didn't feel like, it, it, I don't know, I don't, I don't know how I was supposed to feel, but I just felt really overwhelmed. And I always think kind of at the way that m not most people, but when you look at kind of usually how people plan children into their lives, you know, they may get married or they may have built a house or they may already have a dog or they may there just might be things there that they have like prepared whereas we were just I just felt so ill prepared to bring a human into the world and it was yeah it was quite overwhelming and I, but I think also you were it it was quickened by by your diagnosis so you probably felt a little bit like well not you know it was super lucky that you managed to get pregnant two months when you thought it was going to be a lot longer 
but there, there was that pressure that you had this sort of window so no wonder you felt overwhelmed and then I guess you know you went on to have Freya and then as you're going to talk about now it's kind of things weren't straightforward after she arrived even though you loved her so much there were there were complications with your mental health following her arrival weren't there yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah and um I think now looking back there were probably signs but I didn't really know so um I actually turned 30 when I was um pregnant with Freya and I remember being at this, you know, being at my birthday party and it was lovely and everybody was having a really nice time. It was really sweet. And my stepmom, who's incredibly talented, um, she had um, made me a gift. And I remember opening the gift, you know, and, and having a look at it. And I was, ex- I, I, I just, I suppose I was just expecting a gift for me you know it was my 30th birthday so I didn't I just did not expect to open a gift for the baby and it was beautiful I mean gosh she's she's so talented and she had put a lot of thought into it and I opened it and I looked at it and I remember like just suddenly feeling completely paralyzed and I just looked at her and I and I managed to kind of thank her and be you know incredibly polite and and then I just walked away very subtly upstairs but Doug had seen that I'd gone you know sheet white and he'd looked at my friend Nina and she kind of came up up the stairs after me and I I, I, all I remember is I finally got to this room and I had what now I understand to be a panic attack and I was completely hysterical I, I couldn't breathe I couldn't stop crying and I was you know I, I it was just a, I've never experienced that 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 kind of thing before it was the first time, I mean, Nina's, you know, best friend. So I, I kind of confided in her and I said, I, I can't take this back. You know, I can't, I can't take this back and I don't know what to do. And I I feel so horrendously guilty for feeling this way. And I don't, you know, I, I love this baby. I know I love this baby, but I just, I just think I'm going to be a terrible mother. And I just don't think I can do this. And this, I can't take it back. And Doug is so excited. And I just, and it, you know, I, it all kind of came out and unraveled and, I mean, she was absolutely amazing. And I think, you know, I'm, I have been somebody that suffered. Um, I have been quite anxious over, in my life and I've obviously gone through huge hormonal problems. And for me, becoming a mother and being responsible for a human life and, you know, I, all, all that, that, that that brings, everything that that brings, it's it's really, really hard for me to think that I'm capable of doing that and and so it just felt so unbelievably terrifying and it paralyzed me and um but fortunately when I went to the scan um and and I found out that it was a little girl I it that actually really helped it helped me visualize that I was having a girl we started to talk about names I I, I guess I started to become a bit more excited about it and feel that feel that that you know that Doug and I were a team in this and that we could do it and that I had a supportive kind of network around me and it was going to be fine you know so it wasn't all doom and gloom but it it just there, there were definitely signs and then you know when Freya when Freya arrived it was of quite a tricky birth I don't know actually many women <laughs> when I speak to people I don't really know many that haven't had you know some kind of tricky or traumatic experience so I don't count myself you know it's just very normal to have to to deal with the raft of things that happen in childbirth but um she I was in labor for three days and she got her heads got stuck and then she ingested uh, meconian and then you know where it ended in an emergency c-section and so when she arrived she was really really ill um and so we were both put on anti antibiotics um, and i think we were in maybe four or five days after i had had her and you know i was that that woman on the ward with the baby that screams and screams and screams you know from from the minute that, that you know first thing in the morning straight through all through the night and this went on for about kind of 48 hours and 
it, she was just so so unwell and she wanted she obviously wanted milk and my milk hadn't come through and I was trying to best feed and it was all just very chaotic and I have never experienced tiredness like that ever um and you know by day three I think she had finally kind of uh, started to my milk was not coming through but she, you know she she had managed to kind of bring up all this horrible stuff in her stomach and the antibiotics were working and we started to kind of find our rhythm and then and then we went home you know and it was it was I suppose it was just a really really intense start to uh, Freya's little life with us I absolutely adored her I mean I'd never known love like that you know I absolutely adored her but it was it was certainly a tough gig at the beginning and 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 you and you struggled at the start. I remember chatting to you at the time. I remember coming to see you once when I think when I came to visit Freya for the first time, and uh, she was crying a bit. And you you kept apologising, saying, oh, "I'm so sorry, she's not on good form." And you know that anxiety that you have as a mum, where you, 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 it was kind of you want everything to be perfect, but there were other things going on where you 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 were struggling going out, and you were feeling a bit agoraphobic, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And um, it was so lovely to see you, though, um, because actually, you know, at the beginning when you have the baby, you know, lots. I mean, of course, I appreciate this is a completely different scenario now with given the pandemic and lockdown. But at that point, then we had so many visitors. And so Freya arrived at the beginning of December. And that month in itself is a busy month. You know, everybody is. um people were coming to visit her you know it's it's Christmas time so everything's exciting and I it was it was absolutely exhausting those first few weeks you know breastfeeding is a tough gig all my days it's so hard and I had the most incredible midwife she gave me an additional kind of visit just to really support Freya and I and she was amazing actually absolutely amazing it just I don't know how I could have got through um some of those kind of initial weeks without her um, and of course my mum was there my sister you know we had visitors we had Doug's family coming through like it was it was busy so there was a lot of hands on deck you know I was in hospital for so long um, but there was definitely people on hand my mum had taken time off work to be with me so that initial month I I felt kind of yes it was chaotic but there was people people around me and then, of course, that's Christmas time, you know, so then Doug was off for another two weeks for Christmas. And again, there's family around to support you. And and the first week of January, one of my dearest friends came up to visit me um, from London and she stayed for about a week. And that was amazing, you know, so amazing to have her as well and to have that support. But when she left, that kind of, you know, marked the end of all of it, really. And just suddenly I was so acutely aware of how alone I was and you know Doug and I were the first to have a baby in our group of friends in Glasgow and you know our friends obviously were so supportive and 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 loved Freya and loved coming around and loved seeing her but their lives carried on you know they were working Doug was back at work you're in this situation where it, there's you at home five days a week on your own with a baby. And I had not met anybody in my antenatal classes. I didn't join NCT, which I kind of regret now. And, you know, I would advise people to do that because that's, that is definitely a way to meet people. Um, so I didn't know a single mum with a baby uh, or dad with a baby. I just didn't know anybody with a baby in Glasgow so I didn't have anybody to go for a coffee with I didn't have anybody to talk about you know just the day-to-day -day stuff I didn't have a reason to leave the flat and I think this is where um I started you know to become quite agoraphobic you know I the thought of leaving the flat was quite scary to me I didn't want to go anywhere I didn't want to join in baby clubs I didn't want if Freya was crying, I would get really anxious and nervous and think, oh, everybody thinks, you know, why is that baby crying? And that mother needs to help that baby. Why, you know, and all, all these kind of very anxious thoughts would go through my head. And 
and I did walk because Freya you know didn't she didn't sleep very well and she would never you know nap longer than kind of 45 minutes unless I unless she was in a pram in a moving pram so I would walk and walk and walk so I'd walk in you know these parks for hours and hours which was great I think for my health but I was completely alone it was winter it was January it's dark you know the months they're not forgiving in Scotland Um, and it was very lonely and I think when you know you're trying to manage all the emotions and the hormones and everything that you're going through and you have this little person and they are entirely dependent on you you know food and sleep and and what you know nurture everything and it was it was very overwhelming for me and I would I remember purchasing this book this baby book and I'm very I'm one of those people that really likes to read a manual to fully understand what to do with something <laughs> and I thought oh yeah I'll just get this book and it will literally tell me everything I need to know about this you know motherhood and my baby and and I read it from you know cover to cover and of course my baby was not doing what the book said my baby should be doing you know my baby wasn't sleeping the the duration that that, that she should be sleeping and um and the amount of naps she should be getting at night uh, during the day sorry and the amount of sleep she should be getting at night and it was instead of kind of feeling confident and thinking about freya and 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 working between us and being intuitive i was trying to make Freya fit this book and the mold of the book and I'm not suggesting by the way that those books are not you know that they're not good and that they don't offer really good advice they absolutely do but I think for me in my mental state at that point I became entirely obsessed with this book that you know and particularly obsessed with naps because Freya because Freya didn't sleep very well and I was absolutely exhausted I mean I had sleep deprivation essentially and you know, I there was nobody to help me during the day. You know, I couldn't go, even if I tried to have a nap, Freya would sometimes wake up within 20 minutes, you know, and it was just, it was just, it was more kind of difficult to, to, to your body to think you were about to go to sleep, you know, and then suddenly your baby wakes up screaming and you just, it's just, you have to just keep going. And um, that, that started to, my obsessive tendencies then started to lead to OCD kind of behaviors. So my house, my flat would be absolutely immaculate. I was completely obsessed with keeping it clean. Uh, Me to look at, I was immaculate, you know, my face would be entirely made up, my clothes, everything. When I was in public with people and when I did, you know, see our friends with, with Doug, usually I would do things, you know, with Doug on the weekend nobody would have a clue that I was feeling anything because I would be so immaculate you know and so I'd have be very gregarious in character and be full of life and talk about Freya and be you know she she was such a sweet baby and I would be showing her off and it would be lovely you know I'd be really very present and then when I'd go home like my energy would completely drain and I would just sit there and I started to kind of have, you know, these thoughts. That, so when Doug, on a Sunday night, when Doug, I knew Doug was going to work the next day and I was just petrified, you know, he was when he shut that door um, as he left, I was just petrified about the week ahead and what I was going to do and how I was going to fill our time. Yeah, it was, it was, it was really, it was, it was quite sad, you know, like I didn't, I didn't feel uh, confident to, to, to leave the house and to, to meet anybody because at that point my self-esteem was so low anyway that I didn't really feel like I could meet anybody new I, I only wanted to see people when I was with Doug and in the safety of being with Doug with Freya you know and um and I think that's when I started to have thoughts about Freya and look at her and think that she was lonely and that I was you know making her time on this earth really awful and that she didn't have any baby friends to be with and that you know I I was a really shit mom and I didn't really know what I was doing and how did I deserve this I didn't deserve this baby and so many people were desperately trying to have a baby and they would be amazing mothers and I and that you know I was just so angry with myself for being 
so useless and I would be very obsessive about you know the fact that I was so useless and and so my internal thoughts were always very negative and I was always berating myself and um, and this then led to kind of intrusive thoughts which is now what I understand them to be where I would you know think very scary thoughts about um, Freya and Freya you know being in accidents and situations and you know there were very very graphic um, images and they were horrendous images to have about your baby and just you know you have no idea why you're thinking like that and that you're you know I also had you know coupled with all of this I had these horrendous mood swings and I would write these awful messages to Doug you know he was at work and he couldn't really help me and I was feeling very helpless and it it was just really quite difficult I have to say and you are right you know if people came around and Freya cried I would apologize profusely oh you know I'd make an excuse for the reason why she was being like that or if she you know if the, if we had made a plan with somebody and she's she had like a she had sneezed I would use any excuse to not leave the house you know oh I'm really sorry I can't come today because Freya's not feeling very well oh, I'm really sorry I can't come today because we've been up since 4am and you know it's it's just really difficult and I need to focus on her and her naps today and and actually you know the the best thing for me at that point would have been to leave the house but of course the more I didn't leave the house um the harder it became to leave the house you know mm. Yeah, and 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 it's so hard because it, and that's why it's so courageous that you're talking about this because, you know, it's some people don't often talk about it because by admitting it, it feels like you're not coping or as you were thinking about yourself at that time that you weren't being a good mum or that you couldn't cope and it, and it's very isolating and then you berate yourself for feeling that way and having these thoughts. I mean, I I was lucky. I I didn't really have postnatal depression with Millie, but. I definitely had some traits of something like I remember I got really nervous about driving her in the car like I thought something bad like those intrusive thoughts I, I was convinced something bad was going to happen and I she was in the back and the car was going to crash into me and I remember being more confident when Chris was with me and I remember being in a supermarket sometimes or a cafe and she would cry because she was a, a loud crier too we were the same loud baby in the hospital when she was born as well and I felt so paranoid about it like people would be judging me as not being able to keep my baby happy and stuff so I completely relate to that and I'd, I'd run out of the cafe sooner than to, to avoid that situation so there were mm -hmm. elements that I can really empathize with you but the enormity mm -hmm. of that for you must have been so terrible in the fact that you couldn't really tell people and you haven't this is the first time you've really told that many people outside your in a circle and how, how mm. did you how have you navigate how did you navigate yourself out of that how did you ha what helped to make things better or what what advice would you give to others um uh, that would have helped you with the benefit of hindsight yeah no uh, yeah and um it, even hearing you say that you know running running out the cafe oh my goodness yeah I did that so many times you know you would just brave it go into this cafe and and then the minute your baby starts crying you're like oh no don't worry about the latte I'll just, I'll just see you later I've got to go <laughs> you know you're just exactly. out of there like <laughs> um one thing you know that was amazing is I had I had two school school friends um Jen and Lyd who were just unbelievable unbelievable um sources of support and we were in like a whatsapp group and you know we were all in completely different locations of, of the world and um but we were uh, lifelines to one another and we would talk a lot and we would discuss things and, and i was really open with them and really honest and they were probably the, the the very few kind of people that i was honest about all of these kind of thoughts i was having and but of course they weren't physically located in glasgow so i could you know, you can talk and you can kind of um, ask for advice and you can be really supportive to one another. But it's actually really important that you have physical contact with people that you can actually leave and do something and take your mind off it and and strengthen numbers, you know, like going. That's why there's all these groups out there for um, parents and, and uh, children and babies to support that.
that whole um you know that whole piece because it's it's really important um that you don't feel alone when you start to not want to see anybody you know if somebody knocked on the door unexpectedly i would find that so horrendous i would feel paralyzed i sometimes would just sit in the chair and just pray they would go away you know i just i didn't want to see anybody ever and one day doug came home from work and i just i just wasn't really myself anymore i think i was you know i was holding freya and i mean i i loved freya dearly we were we were actually very close and there wasn't it it was of course it is related to freya because it's you know you're feeling all of this post baby but it it's really more more about you and i was just kind of staring very blankly and i had become a bit kind of i wasn't very engaged with doug anymore and i didn't really talk about my day i didn't have anything to tell him and i didn't i wasn't even trying to hide anything anymore with him and i think he just knew that that there was just something really not quite right with me so he actually he took me to the doctors which was really you know he's he's such a hero and i'm so proud of him so he he took me to the doctors and i, I remember it's like a it's one of those doctors where you um, actually put your name on a waiting list and then you just wait and then you get called by lots of different doctors um and i remember this one doctor that i really wanted to be called because i really liked her and i just felt like i could talk to her but it wasn't her that i got and it was this um locum doctor which is funny that you should talk about locum doctors and i looked at him and i was like oh no i don't i really don't want to speak to him i don't know who he is and this is just going to be you know a total waste of his time and i don't really understand why i'm here and anyway so he called me and i went in and doug stayed out um of the room and he had said to me you know uh so how you know is everything okay how can i help today and i basically just said oh i you know i don't really know why i'm here my boyfriend kind of brought me here but i i, I don't think there's anything wrong and and he just started to kind of ask me questions i suppose he was very very good um and he started to ask questions about the things that i had been going through and i explained the agoraphobia and the ocd and the obsessions and um the intrusive thoughts and how i was you know becoming more and more withdrawn and lonely i was also starting to suffer from insomnia at that point i was incredibly thin he actually said to me you know i'm i'm really pleased that that i've seen you today because i actually specialize in palliative care and i was like oh, okay <laughs> and it took me back a bit and he said no the reason why i'm telling you that is because I really can spot depression very easily and I'm telling you you know you have postnatal depression and I was just so unbelievably thrown by that I hadn't even considered that 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 was what was wrong with me you know and also I didn't actually know anything about postnatal depression I hadn't met anybody with postnatal depression and and uh, but he was amazing and he basically said you know these are the things that you need to do and he put me on medication straight away and I think the reason why is I don't think you I you know I don't think you mess about really when when it comes to a, a mother and a and and a and a baby I think that's something that they want to do quite quickly and that's you know and I think that that obviously did help me it takes a while for that to to start having an an impact and effect on 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 your um you know on your mental health but um I think the single biggest most effective thing that um that he told me to do was go home and make a plan and uh join a baby group and it was so terrifying to even do that but actually you know once i knew what was wrong and i knew that i needed to make i just needed to make a friend <laughs> i had to make a friend that had a baby for for my sanity basically and for freya as well you know and and for doug i i was I can't even imagine what I was like to live live with at that point not that he would have ever said that you know he was incredibly supportive but it was really tough like it was really really tough and um 
so that's what we did and I, I joined this the first baby group it was a yoga baby class it was amazing and then I met this incredible woman who you know to this day she will never know how much she means to me she was my first mum friend and I love her dearly she has absolutely no idea that I have um that I had postnatal depression you know that wasn't something that I actually divulged to anybody um and she was brilliant she then introduced me to another baby group and I then started to go to that and I met more more people um, and then and then I got more confident and went to another baby group, you know, and then suddenly I started to build a network of of parents um, that I could hang out with, go for coffee and and actually just have a laugh with. Suddenly, I just looked forward to things and Freya loved all these classes. She was so happy. And if she cried, she cried, you know, but strength in numbers, loads of babies were crying in the group that I was in. We were all having lunches together. Somebody's baby was doing this and that and the other. It didn't matter, you know, nobody cared. And it was amazing. And I think it's that that one little step of joining that yoga class to meet that one person that then ended up opening all these different ne- networks for you, opening up the world and it becoming not isolating and much more supportive and how that community can really help you and and how important that was and how amazing that you got that from taking that one brave step to do that yeah um and it's probably worth talking about at this point that you went on to have another beautiful baby sunny who is like his name a very sunny beautiful boy you must have had the same or well you must have had anxieties when you found out you were pregnant that you would all these mental health issues would um, would happen again. Yeah, you, yes, absolutely. And I mean, I feel so incredibly grateful and lucky to have um, fallen pregnant again um, with Sonny, who's such a sweet, sweet baby. He's he's ten months old now, and um, but at the time you know, Doug and I had been trying for quite some time by that point and we just kind of had come to that point where we just didn't think that um, it was going to be possible for us. And so when I did fall pregnant, it was it, it came as quite a shock. Um, and although I was incredibly grateful to be in that situation, of course, the the first feelings that I that I that I had were again that feeling of of fear um and thinking that I just wouldn't be able to do it and that I you know would go through everything again which was of course quite traumatic so um yeah it it, sadly it wasn't how um I I should have been feeling but unfortunately that really was the case Mm. and I remember you and I having one of our many emergency SOS calls to each other at uni and joining each other for lunch and you were so nervous about telling me because you were anxious and feeling not how you wanted to feel being pregnant and overwhelmed and and you didn't want to tell me because I had sadly just had a miscarriage and you, you you felt sad to tell me that but I was so happy for you and it just it's just life isn't it when you're at different points but you can still be there to support your friends and I remember us both crying and emotional at the table in the cafe that we were at and uh it was a sort of I guess a pivotal moment in our friendship as well oh absolutely because you know Emma you you have just such a huge heart you really do and you're incredibly compassionate and you were going through something absolutely I, I can't even imagine what you were going through and here I was sitting in front of you pregnant and feeling completely and utterly overwhelmed and terrified and you know not looking forward to to being pregnant and how do you sit in front of you know one of your close friends and have that conversation with the journey that they're going through and it just felt so cruel and you were amazing and I was so grateful although I felt incredibly guilty you know because I just I just desperately wanted you to be pregnant and you deserve to be pregnant and sitting there you know consoling me it just it just felt such a strange time but of course you made it completely normal and you were so supportive no, because just I always say I'm on my own journey, and while I wish, I I still wish I could be pregnant now, and maybe it will happen, maybe it won't. But you know, you can still be happy for other people, even though at times it, that can be hard. In that moment, it wasn't because I just wanted to be there for you. So, 
Um, that's just the way it is. And um, and probably if one of the final question to think about and for you to sum up is, is there any advice you'd give to others going through this and particularly postnatal depression and, and especially during COVID, which must be horrendous, even more horrendous than it is um, in normal life? Or is there something you that would have helped you with the benefit of hindsight looking back? Yeah, I think this is a really great question. Um, yeah, I, I've been fortunate, obviously, to have Sonny now. So some of the lessons that I learned from um, from having Freya um, and the techniques that I kind of applied once I had been diagnosed with postnatal depression, I was able to um, use them, you know, quite quickly here and with Sonny. But what I would say is don't you know don't ever be afraid to ask for help and I always thought I was imposing on people so I didn't ask I didn't I didn't want to be that person you know that 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 asked for help and and support but actually it's very normal and natural to do that and people want to help people want to support you um and of course you know joining baby groups I, I cannot imagine how how tough the past 18 months has been for people who haven't been able to do that um with new babies and you know as I said before my heart really does go out to them um but getting outside and meeting someone for a walk face to face is so crucial to being able to break your day up and it's it's great obviously getting exercise and being out in the fresh air um but just seeing someone face to face even if you're at a distance is I would say you know is, is 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 so helpful um and then I would I would also just say confide in people. You don't have to confide in lots of people, but just have some key people that you feel that you can really talk to. And you can say, I'm having a really bad day today. I just need a bit of support. Or can you come over and 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 watch watch the baby? Because I just I just need a moment to myself. Um, and I certainly found that helpful for you and I, you know, with you being um, at work with me, I, it, it just it just makes you feel also more confident as well to to get through everything and this is a bit kind of cheesy but I I would say just be a bit kinder to yourself because it's a really hard job I mean it's incredibly rewarding but it's a hard job being a parent you know you you're incredibly tired it's non-stop and it's quite a kind of shock to the system if you're a new parent um so you need to be a bit kinder to yourself because you actually are doing an incredible job and your baby absolutely adores you. And it's something that's, you know, moments where you just say, wow, like my baby seems really happy and they're laughing. And then, you know, those are moments that you should say that you're kind of that person for them. So, yeah, be a bit kinder to yourself. Um, the books, obviously read the books, um, but please, please don't take it as, you know, the gospel because obviously, and the books say this themselves, they'll say each baby is different um, because there's no way that all babies can, you know, apply to the same methodology of one book, but just just take bits and pieces that are relevant to you or that you'd like to apply, um, to, like routines and things like that, but but don't do what I did. <laughs> and finally, I would say probably um, CBT. So I went, I did go for CBT um, following my diagnosis. But I think CBT, whether you, you have postnatal depression or not, is actually really useful because I apply those techniques even now today and at work and things. So they were really, really helpful as well. So I think just ultimately, you know, don't try to measure up to these ideals or the ideal mother for example that 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 kind of that we've created um as a society just just focus on you and just focus on your you know your family and get the support you need and and be kind to yourself and just and just um be i suppose be in the moment as well with your with your baby as much as you can um because they also do grow up quite quickly i mean you know, my Freya is now five and you will get through it. That's all I will say. You will always get through it with, with the help and support of family and friends. And I think that's a perfect point to, to end Kath. And I think you're totally right is to don't keep looking in the other lane and comparing yourself to what society says is the ideal mum. you know, with the clean house and the, all the different groups you're going to. And, and because it, 
it only makes you feel crap about yourself and and also that no one should be ashamed to feel like this in terms of having low mood and and postnatal depression because it's so so common and I I am sure people will be surprised to hear that you've suffered from it because you're such a happy person and you've talked about it you know putting that brain brave face on the makeup the I'm totally got this I'm fine and you covered it up from people around you so so well so it can affect and it does affect so many people and to talk about it and support one another is so important and I hope that this episode will help others that are suffering and I'm sure I'm sure it will Cass so thank you again so much for coming on and being so brave and open and raw and honest like I knew you would be about this and uh, I know that other people will find it really comforting. Oh, um, honestly, I am incredibly grateful for, you know, being given the opportunity actually to speak. And it has it has been something that I have kept um, hidden for for so long, mainly out of fear um, of what people would perceive me to be. And, and I didn't want relationships to change as a result of it. I didn't want it to define me. But um but absolutely, I feel, you know, given the the past women that have spoken on your podcast who really have given me such courage to speak up and tell um, my story but anybody that's listening as well if they're in that situation you know as I said my heart really does go out to you and I really hope that that my uh, experiences will help others feel less less alone I'm sure they will thanks my love Thank you so much for listening to the latest episode of the Hopes and Dreams podcast. I hope you'd found it useful and indeed hopeful. Please do leave a review and let us know what you thought. And also check us out on Instagram and Twitter, the Hopes and Dreams podcast. And do let us know what you'd like us to feature in future episodes. And we'll see you next time. Bye.